Good How you morning. Doing? Hey, Jacob. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So we're playing a little, we're, we're called an audible here this morning. And, uh, <laughs> my normal guest, my normal guest, uh, Jordan is, uh, he's got an event. He said he may join us later. We'll see. You never, he's being, you never a, know, he's being a Swifty right now. You know, that's right. That's right. He is, um, Jordan is taking, he's, he's, he's got his, uh, oldest child, his daughter, Harper, he bought Taylor Swift tickets and they're down in Nashville. He was going to join us from the hotel, but I think we had some technical difficulties. So Jacob and I are going to run, run this podcast today. So, um, I was actually in that stadium the other week for, um, the Luke Combs concert. It's pretty good. Was it pretty so, awesome? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a cool stadium. I never had been to the Tennessee Titans stadium before, so it was pretty cool. So I, I went a long time ago and, um, we said, I remember we stayed, we set seats, had seats that were super high up. And I just remember how steep the seats were up top. And I remember the beer concession guys walking up and down those stairs. And I'm like, that just does not look fun to me. But I bet it's an awesome We I take it back. We we also were down there. Holly, my wife and I went for, uh, the, I think they had the CMT Fan Festival every summer down there in mm-hmm. nashville and we went and they had a bunch of concerts and it we went one time to it and went it was at the stadium so pretty cool it's pretty cool yeah well uh so welcome i always forget to do this right off the bat but this is what episode four of the zion experience we call it the tze uh we're glad to have you hopefully you've you've watched some of the other episodes uh we just get on we do general talk we have some guests we got some pretty excited guests today a pretty exciting guest, in my opinion, today that we're bringing on some longtime partners uh, of ours and just good people in general. So I'll, I'll introduce those those two guys in just a minute. But this is episode four. Uh, you can find the podcast because I do a terrible job at this of telling everybody, but you can find the podcast. We're on YouTube. We've got our own YouTube channel. So subscribe, uh, join us. You can watch the video experience there and hear the audio. And then if you just want to listen to the audio, we're also, we upload and we've got feeds that go into to Spotify and Apple podcast right now. Right, Jacob, I didn't miss anything. Correct. Spotify yeah, so. and Apple podcast as well as YouTube. So, and then of course you'll probably see it on LinkedIn as well. So yeah. Yeah. We, we, we drop it usually the, a couple of days after we tape, we're, we're not doing it live right now. We may go live at some point, but we're a little bit, amateur still so we're practicing but uh so hope you're enjoying it yeah subscribe jacob does all the behind the scenes work editing on the podcast so we're thankful for him and jacob's also a marketing intern for us that accepted a robotic systems engineering job he's going to start with us in june so how does one go from marketing to robotic systems engineering jacob you know it was a big difference marketing was already a big jump for me um because i was you know supply chain management major and so i was coming from you know i just had it implemented in the erp system uh to i wanted to work for zion and so drew reached out to me and i applied to a data analysis position and it got filled and i was like well i still want to work for a zion in some aspect uh and so don't, don't have a marketing intern position. So I applied for it and thankful I got it because I mean, this is where I am now and will be for a while now. So I'm excited. He's done an awesome job at it too. And so you're looking at the chief marketing officer is uh, right <laughs> here. And 
I had never done marketing until we started Zion. I've always had opinions. I'm not, I'm never short of opinions, but so Jacob and I, along with Chuck, we, we, we developed the strategy. We've got a great partner in Carlton creative. Uh, we've got a fractional marketing team that helps us with it. And then Jacob does a lot of the heavy lifting task. And, um, we, I enjoy it. I like, I like the marketing aspect of it. I don't really look at it as mark as marketing much as it's really branding. How are you sharing your brand and who you're about and what you do? And, um, our brand of course comes back. It's all about a memorable experience and guiding intelligent change. And it's just, there's different aspects of marketing and I'll wrap this up and introduce our guests. But to me, there's different aspects of marketing. I, I was meeting with Caleb Phelps, who's done some video work for us in digital marketing. And we talked about this yesterday and our marketing strategy is more of storytelling. It's not so much of traditional marketing material, get out, you know, the brand's important, but it's, um, we like to tell stories and we like to focus on our vision. We like to, we like to focus on what we are, which is relationship based, given that experience. And then as you'll find out, hopefully through this episode, it, there is a certainly a technical aspect of automation doesn't work without the right software. Hardware doesn't work without the right software. So there's the technical aspect of guiding the right intelligent change or guiding intelligent change. So, yeah. And when I was talking to some of the potential future marketing interns, um, they asked me like, why, why do you like marketing as I And I was like, well, you know, it is a newer company, you know, we've only been, been here for a year and you are building that brand, like you said. And I, I think that's what's so exciting about it is because you are helping build that brand from the, you know, the foundation. And so you kind of like feel that connection to the brand. You could say, you know, you feel like you are there behind it, you know, helping it grow. And so I think that's been one of my favorite experiences over the past, you know, I think eight months that I've been working here was, you know, being behind as you see the brand grow, you know, see us grow from 400 LinkedIn followers when I joined and now we have over 1500. So it's a cool experience and cool to see us grow as well as learn a lot about robotics. Cause when I came in, I didn't know anything about robotics either, but now I, I'm about to be a robotic systems engineer. So it's, it's a cool experience. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Well, we had a big week, Jacob. Um, going back to the last episode, we always recap. So Jordan's at a Taylor Swift concert. He's in Nashville or will be tonight. So a little bit jealous. I, I like Taylor Swift. I don't know what a 40 year old man's supposed to, to acknowledge that, but I like her music, respect her business. We were talking about it a little earlier before we started the show and, uh, that'll be a cool experience with his kids and, and spending that time with his daughter, Harper. Uh, I ran my first half marathon last Saturday. So the Derby, the Kentucky Derby's tomorrow, that's Derby week at, and uh, my, I'm living in Kentucky about an hour South of Louisville. Derby week's a big week. I usually do not participate. I stay as far away from it as possible, but Thurby was yesterday. The Oaks is today. And then the Derby's obviously Saturday. Um, they had the Derby festival. They had the half marathon and marathon last Saturday. So I ran my first marathon, did it under two hours, which was my goal, uh, barely under two hours, like seconds under two hours, but I still made it. And, um, then we had the Mahita convention and we'll have a, we're going to have a guest from Mahita on. Hopefully we're working on the specifics of that, but Mahita is a trade organization, a, just a fabulous trade organization that we'll have to put this in the show notes and shout them out a little. Jacob, they, uh, they put on a convention and it was in Nashville and the whole team was there and we had just a great time. It's good to see people. 
you're still coming out of this pandemic where you haven't got, you haven't had the ability to see all the people that you enjoy working with partners and, and just sister companies that uh, you could argue competitors, but really it's more of friendly competitors and sister companies. And it was a really good week. They put on a real good show, had some really good keynote speakers, had a guy that did something. We'll, we'll talk about that a little later with, with Gary and Austin, when we bring them on about how, how are companies weaving AI into their businesses? And it's all the rage that everybody hears and you're hearing words like the iPhone moment and what do you do with it? So we may, we may impact that a little bit, but then I got back, dug out of a bunch of emails and here we are. So I think it's time we think introduce and bring the guys on. And uh, again, it's episode four TZE episode four. You can find us on YouTube. Please go click subscribe. Watch for us on LinkedIn. Follow us if you're not on there. Uh, we've got a big go. We want to grow those followers, and then we're out on Apple and um, Spotify. If 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 you wanna if you wanna find us there as well, and uh, it's TZE, the Zion Experience Podcast. So we've got two guests today from Matthews Automation. Um, I've got some technical bios, so I'm gonna kind of go off the script here. I haven't read them yet, so we'll see how good Gary and Austin did at describing themselves, but. Uh, first up is Austin Santich. Uh, he is with this company is Matthews Automation. So I'll let them do a little more explanation of what is Matthews Automation instead of taking it out. And Austin is uh, what's up, Austin? Austin's the director of systems engineering at Matthews Automation Warehouse Automation Group. He oversees all the pre-sales, concepting, design, and estimating for the Pyramid and Compass Group as part of that. Um, Austin began his career managing distribution operations in the grocery industry. You got to tell us about that, Austin. I, I guess I knew that, forgot about it. So you have to tell us a little bit about that. And before he moved into really into supply chain consulting, uh, he's got 15 plus years using and designing integrated systems. Congratulations on 15 years in this crazy industry. Thank you. And, uh, and just he, uh, his focus is really on system design and implementation. And he holds an MBA from the university of Tennessee. Um, you didn't tell us about your kids. You got two kiddos, right? Instead of twins. Is that right? Dude, twin boys. They'll be four here in uh, July. Yeah. So yeah. they keep me pretty busy. Awesome. <laughs> glad Austin. to be on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're glad to have you, man. And uh, Austin, we're looking forward to hearing from you. So the other guest we've got is Gary Cash, my buddy Gary Cash. Hey, Gary. How are Hi, we? Jimmy. Doing well. Gary's going to play us a Taylor Swift song with his guitar in the background there. A little later, maybe if we're lucky. Um, so Gary is a senior vice president and general manager of Matthews Automation Warehouse Automation Group. He's responsible for the industry leading Pyramid, Lightning Pick, and Compass brands. And as a group, Matthews has been in the industry. I'm sorry. As a group, Matthews Automation. I told you guys I mess up every now and then, right? Matthews Automation has been the industry's leading provider of independent software and controls solutions for managing distribution centers and order fulfillment systems um, for a long time. So there's a, there's a big, long history there. I'll go off scripts a little bit of what used to be Pyramid. Um, Matthews, as a, the parent company, um, bought Consolidated Pyramid and Compass Groups. And Gary and Austin can tell us a little bit about that journey. But they've they've we've probably done 200 plus installs together in our careers and worked through, which is, you know, that's that's a lot. So. Um, well thought of in the industry. They've been around for a long time, just good people. And then to finish up Gary, Gary holds a bachelor's degree. He's a, he's a fellow engineer. He's electrical engineer from Cleveland state university. And he's got his MBA from John Carroll university. 
Yeah. So welcome, welcome, Gary. Glad to have you on the show, man. Thank you, Jimmy. What I think you see here is that when I had 15 years in the industry like Austin, I had about as much hair as he does. Well, I noticed. I figured you purposely left off the fact that you've got, tell us, how many years do you have in the industry? About 23 in material handling, 30 overall. But uh, this this industry wears you down, but it's a, it's a lot of fun every day. It absolutely is. Yeah, I've, I've done, this is year 25 for me, you all. I've been, of course, most, mine's, my whole career has been really in the material handling industry, logistics. Most of that was at UPS to start 17 years. I got the badge, the brown badge for 17 years at UPS. And then I've been out in the systems integration business for eight plus years now. Yeah. So, well, Austin, why don't we kick off? Why don't, why don't you tell us what, so what was the grocery add on to your bio, what you do, how you do it? I, I could do it, but I'd rather hear it out of your words and I'll just sure. fill in the gaps. Yeah. So I started my career as a distribution operations. Um, I was a supervisor for a 3PL. Uh, it was all frozen and refrigerated food storage. Um, then after that, I was a warehouse manager for Cisco Foods, um, managed the outbound operation there and had about 50 employees doing probably $300 million in revenue a year out of that building. Um, so that's, that's where I got my start, you know, using WMS, WES, WCS software packages and integrated systems. Um, so I've got a lot of experience from the user side, understanding what the issues are, uh, you know, how you interact with those in a distribution environment and, and where the problems can come from. So I use that in my, in my, uh, you know, job now designing systems and, and, uh, pricing them out and, you know, helping our customers and our business partners figure out how they're going to use equipment and, and make sure everything works as one integrated system. Awesome. So Austin is on the fun side of the business. He gets to develop the solutions and do pre-sales and they're Gary and Austin are two of the best you put in front of a customer because software is not easy. We will get into that a little bit. It's like software is not this thing you can touch. It's not this product that you can just pull off a shelf. It's just, it's not easy. And a lot of people have anxiety about software and how you do technology and what's the tech stack look like. And software may have, may or may not have a great reputation in our industry of when it, it, when it puts you in pain, you're in pain and you can't go out and see a boat that's broken. You can't go see a motor that's broken. You can't replace a physical thing. So Austin gets to do the fun part of what I call our industry. I told somebody the other day is uh, we really, in our business, it's like we got two halves, like, there's the first half, which is all sales and solutions and fun. And then once you get a contract, now it's the second half and you got to go deliver and implement and execute and support. And they're two totally different halves. You get to put two different field teams on the field most of the time to, to play in, to play in the game. But Austin does an excellent job. I'm rambling a little bit. So Gary, you, what's uh tell us a little bit about pre Matthews and maybe share a little bit better job than I did of, who Matthews is, where Matthews came from, and then we'll just get in and ask some questions. Tell us a little bit about your your history, your career, and yeah. That's why uh, I started in material handling at FKI Logistics. It was originally Bushman Conveyor in Cincinnati, and FKI had bought them, and part of my bio lists all the roles I've been in. FKI bought nine companies over a period of about six or seven years and kept rethinking how to structure them, and I took on a lot of different roles. You know, you talked about it earlier. I, I'm an engineer, right? But I did some marketing and it's a lot of fun, you know, because you get to tell some stories on, on how projects work. And 
Um, so I spent about nine years there handling, you know, conveyor-based systems, doing a lot of high-speed controls, high-speed sortation. And then um, from there, worked my way over to Matthews. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, Matthews had bought uh, Lightning Pick and Pyramid in 2011 and 12, and then bought Compass in 17. And as soon as they bought Compass, we put the three together. So I've really got three brand names. Pyramid and Compass are, as you mentioned, controls and software for warehouse and distribution. And Lightning Pick provides subsystems typically, picking and putting, put to store, put to light, put walls, things like that. And so we've got a, a number of software-based solutions, software being the key between them. And, and you're exactly right. Software sometimes sounds simple to people. Those who have done it are afraid of it sometimes, right? But yeah. you start and say, okay, we need to control this sorter or control this ASRS or whatever. Okay, that's not too hard. Now let's talk about the exceptions that might happen in your building. And, and three days later, we'll st we're still talking about those. But, you know, you talk about what Austin does. That's a big piece of his job is saying, okay, guys, how do you want to handle this exception or that one? And if we catch them all, it makes for a much smoother startup and install. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's an interesting background. And um, so most of mine was some people might be interested in like Matthews as a company. What all Matthews is a pretty diverse company. They they've got. I don't want to step in and say wrong, but I think they've got like a casket division, right? Don't they have a, they make caskets, yeah. but what all different business units does Matthews have? Where's headquarters? Are they American based or are they? Yeah. yeah. So Matthews is, um, Matthews International is the parent company um, yeah. based out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, we're in, you know, 25 countries worldwide. Um, got a few different divisions. Like you mentioned, we have the memorialization and funeral services uh, division. So, yeah, we, we make caskets, we make, uh, you know, um, the, the ovens that you cremate people in. Um, we do all the, you know, the Walk of Fame bronze stars and bronze statues for the Hall of Fame. Um, really? So, yeah, it's a, that's a pretty unique side of the business. We have a big marketing group and then um, we've got the industrial automation group or the industrial technologies where we, our, our group is part of that. And then there's a few other small um, divisions in that industrial group. What's interesting is Matthews was founded in 1850. And they say it was in printing, but really it was in branding irons, which turned into printing. And today we have a couple hundred million dollar inkjet printing business, much more higher tech version of that same printing business that they started with. That's awesome. One of, uh, one of the speakers at the Mojita convention this week was talking, she was profiling and uh, talking about businesses that had been in business for 250 plus years and just we we feel sorry for ourselves some some may you you don't but you think of the pandemic and it's like the the latest thing but she walked through you don't really think about it you think of something a company that's been in business matthews is what 100 almost 175 years now right and they went through a true depression they went through two world wars um, one of the use cases that she had was Jim Beam. They went through prohibition and she talked how Jim Beam originally navigated and pivoted and saw that, you know, he knew prohibition was coming. And so he, 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 he diversified his business and then they're still in business. So that's, that's pretty, I didn't realize they had been in business for that long. That's pretty awesome. The company I knew where, where we first met was really pyramid. And mm -hmm. uh, at our previous, um, previous company I worked with, I'm not going to name a name, but previous company I worked with, we did a lot of work together. Um, very, very 
very close relationship. Like we said, 200 plus installs, uh, 20 plus 25 plus year relationship. And that really, that, that really hasn't changed. I think if anything, the, the evolution of pyramid now compass, now a lightning pick all under the Matthews automation umbrella has just given you all a bigger stage, a bigger platform, um, to bring on additional talent and just do what you do best, which is at the end of the day, I, I feel like software is software. Um, n- not all software is equal, but at the end of the day, what has always been big for me is just like our, our vision is the experience that you get and ultimately how you execute. Those are the two things that we've always come to rely on Matthews for uh, good people to work with. Uh, we'll put a little asterisk by it. It's, it's, it's not without challenges sometimes because we work in a tough industry and uh, there are moments. I call them moments. Gary's heard me probably refer to them as moments before. I don't know what Austin and I've had moments, but Gary and I could talk about a few moments. We've just had them. It happens in life. And, uh, but we've always worked through it. We've always taken care of the customer. We always find a way through it, that narrow road, that narrow, that narrow path that you got to get that, that separates success and failure. And, uh, I'm knocking on wood. We've, we've never had a project that hasn't gone right eventually. And most of the time it's, it, it goes really well. And then the times that there's been difficulties, we've worked through it and ultimately had a happy customer out of it. So, um, long-term relationship. And I think it's because of this, because we can get on just today. You know, I asked a couple of weeks ago, would you all like to get on? It's all about the relationships. It's all about the partnerships. And, uh, we focus a lot on that. So from your all's words, what would you all say? I mean, I, I, I feel like the partnership is, is one that's longstanding, um, we, we don't always see eye to eye, but we always meet in the middle at the end of the day. And we always are focused on taking care of our customer and the experience that our customer gets. So yes. Austin, your, your opinion on that, what do you, what do you think? I think so much of this, this uh, business and industry revolves around trust. You know, your partners have to trust you. Your customers have to trust you. Yeah. Things don't always go right. You know, these are complex engineered systems. Things don't always you don't always flip the switch and turn it on and things run smoothly. You got to, you got to get through some bumps in the road. Um, but you know, that trust there between your partners and your customers to know that, that you're going to, you're going to deliver a solution that works um, regardless of, of what you come across on the way to getting there. I think that's very big. You're right. Yeah, absolutely. And Gary, you've been at it a long time. I mean, you walk in a lot of times we'd walk in code to a customer that doesn't know either company and they're looking to make a change and you're potentially competing for their business. But really it's let it, I like the words you used Austin. It's you're going in to establish trust. You're, you're trying to establish that relationship you're trying to establish that trust. And once you've established the trust, you've got it. You've got to have the technical aptitude and the technical chops, I guess, for lack of a better word, you've got to be able to do what you say, but you ultimately have to, it's a relationship business. I say all the time that people buy on three things. They buy product, they buy brand, but most often they're buying relationship. And um, that's that's what I think we do. We've done it a lot of times. We walk into that room cold. We don't really know the people in the room and we walk out and there's a trust factor built and they, they go, I want to work with those guys. I want to work with those companies, that company. So you're yeah, all experience the same. Um, from where yeah. we sit, that's that's critical, that trust, because as I tell people, you know, as we do a project, you do a half million square foot building, 
there's a lot of details. Some of those will be missed or not communicated very well. And we're going to get beyond site and say, oh, how do you want to deal with this? And so everybody knows that's going to happen on a project. So we try to build that trust that when those moments happen, we're going to help the customer through it, right? And as you mentioned, Jimmy, you talk about moments. That's exactly what it's about is, okay, nobody knew about this issue. Let's work together. Let's solve it. Let's. Um, what, what I was thinking as you were talking is the, the answer is always do the right thing for the customer. Right. Because we're not in it for the short game. We're in it for the long game. We don't want only this project. We want this customer for life. And when you do the right thing for the customer, whether you and I can, can agree on exactly the right direction, once we realize, you know what, both of us are going to do the right thing for the customer, it becomes obvious what to do. That's right. And that's where and you our, really build that trust over time. And your customers appreciate it. Because I think, you know, you the worst experience, I, I've, been a, I've been a customer of the software side. I've been, it was more on the WMS side. The day we're going to, I probably again did a poor job, but you all focus more on WES and below controls. Uh, the industry calls it a bunch of different things, but warehouse execution system is what Nexus is. Um, your all's product and what you all do well. And then the controls layer, you all have got one of the best controls layer as part of Nexus um, that's involved. But as, as a customer of the WMS, the, and, and we'll talk about this, like how, what success look like when you're designing a software system, execution system? They're, the steps are, we might call them different things, but they're specific steps that you have to do in the cadence of from solution to delivery that, that give you the chance to minimize those surprises so that you have less of the moments that you, you felt through and you guide your customer intelligently through, through the process. But I had the, the worst was don't get my input. Don't listen to what I need. Don't test properly. Don't gather my requirements properly. And then you go turn a, you know, the proverbial switch on and go live or go to testing or go, go to startup and things don't work well. And then it's, then it's scrambling. Then you're trying to fix and then you're in the heat of the moment. Now you've got a firefight and the companies that, that I was a customer for that I appreciated the most were the ones that really asked good questions, spent the right amount of time and listened to what I needed. Cause there's multiple, I've, I've said this forever. There's multiple ways you can get to your destination. And oftentimes in my experience, the best way to get to the ultimate destination is the path that the customer feels most comfortable taking. It doesn't have to be the path that you feel most comfortable taking. You almost have to be, um, malleable to what your customers' needs are, and you could solve the problem. Both 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 roads would lead to the end destination, but if the customer's on board with the road that they want to walk and the road that they support, and you get their buy-in, typically you have a lot better user experience. You get a lot better experience at the end of it. And um, I don't know yeah. why software. Why do y'all think it is like I, to me? Software's it's not really a product. It kind of is. You all probably not struggle, but you have, how do you explain software? But at the end of the day, to me, software has always been about the people that are in the room with me, helping me do the software. It's not about the code. I, I never want to, you, that's almost an expectation in today's world, right? You've had the technical ability to do it. You can code, you can do controls, but it's always been about, do I get the A team or do I get the C team? And do I, and that halftime concept, right? Do I have the A team up front and everybody, man, this is a great sales experience. And then the, the back end's a terrible delivery experience. Um, 
or sometimes it's the, the, the front end or software folks. You all are really good in this arena. Most software individuals are not true salesmen at heart. They're more, you know, they, they just, they're, they're different. They're more like, uh, like, like me is more of an engineer and, you know, less like Chuck and Jordan. That's why Jordan needed to be on. He's got more of the salesperson persona and personality, but, um, it's always, it comes back to the team and what team you have on it. So is that, yeah. is that your yeah. experience? Yeah, I a hundred percent agree with that. And, and you mentioned that there's two pieces of it, you know, there, there's the upfront sales piece and then there's the implementation piece after you've got the order. I think a real big piece of that is the handoff between those two um, and making sure that the, the implementation team understands what was sold and the sales team understands what needs to be implemented. So those two can be aligned. Um, we spend a lot of time upfront with customers at the beginning of a project, trying to define requirements or here's, here's what WMS is doing. Here's what WES is doing. You know, here's where that handoff is and here's how things need to work. Um, so defining that scope of work up front and, you know, making sure that there's not any, any gotchas out there that we're overlooking, making sure we get a good, good documentation for what we're providing and com clearly communicating that to the implementation team is, is a huge step in the project to make sure that things go smoothly. So, you know, we have to work very closely with, with our partners that are integrating the, the MHE as well as the end user to make sure we understand all the nuances of the system because they are, you know, complex integrated systems and understand all the nuances of the customer's specific operation. You know, all these systems are, are you know, moving product, moving boxes from point A to point B, but everybody's operation has, you know, a little bit that's that's unique, if not a lot that's unique to their specific industry and their specific company and, and ways that they need to do business to make sure that they're servicing their customers appropriately. Yeah, I think I think you nailed it. And, and I brought up the little visual um, so you all could see it too. I don't, I don't know if you all have seen this before, but we've, we've tried to capture the six steps that guide us through a project from start to finish and the, the first half, second half that I was referring to. We just call it the Zion life cycle. And I don't know that it's, it's, it's not uncommon that these steps could almost be applied to software and the execution systems that you all use as well. But we start with the discovery and the scope of work, which you called out Austin and then asking the right questions. I think one of the things we may go into later today is about AI and everybody's heard about chat GPT and the power of that tool can be unlocked, but you have to start with asking it the right questions. You, they're calling it prompts. You have to put in the right prompts. So the key to all of us is once we get to the point where we've decided that the relationships work, we can help a customer. They've got a problem we can solve which is really Zion's approach to it. We don't just go after everything. We're not selling a product. We're not, we don't have something on a shelf and we go find, let, let me try to shove this product into somebody. We, we look at it as, is this customer a culture and a relationship we feel like we can work with and do they have a problem we feel like we can solve in a good manner. And so if we've got to that point, we get now we're at discovery and all the discovery is, is asking the right questions. And I think that's a big part of, your all's expert expertise comes in and we would bring you a partner like Matthews in at this point to say, okay, we've, we've done the initial discovery, but then there's a point of before we get to scope of work, let's bring in the right partners and say, what do, what, if software is a play in it 
if execution systems are play in it, let's bring you all to the table because that's what we rely on you all for expertise. And and then you've got to put it in. What's the scope of work? And there's some key documents. I think you all call it a customer requirements document is once you've gotten the initial discovery underway, you all may use different words. I'll let you all tell me in a minute. But once you've understood, here's what I think the customer wants, you all then memorialize it and put it into a customer requirements document that is basically an operational definition of here's what you said you want. Here's what I'm saying I will deliver. Here's the functionality that ultimately you can expect in terms of customer requirements. So what do you, do you all call it something different, but would you, how, how do you all handle your discovery, your scope of work process? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, you pretty well described it. Um, you know, we, we define the requirements as best we can during the sales process, but you know, there's, there's not, you know, enough time to go into the deep dive of the details during that. So once, once, you know, we start working on a project, that's when we really want to meet with the customer deep dive to understand their requirements. And, you know, Jimmy, you said something that I, that I like just then is you don't have a product sitting on the shelf, you know, that you're trying to force on customers. I think that's something that um, both of our organizations, a huge benefit is that we are MHE agnostic. We can work with anybody's equipment that allows you guys to pick the best in class MHE solutions and design a system that's going to work for the customer and what, what they need to accomplish. And then we can come in, you know, tie it all together, put the software and controls on it to make it work as an integrated system. And, and they have one, one um, system to get all their information from, do all their troubleshooting in and, you know, um, track their product through the building. But yeah, I think once the project kicks off, it's, it's all about, spending time with the customer, understanding how they do things today, what they like and don't like about how their operation runs today and, and how we make that work or how we change that for their, you know, based on the MHE design and their, their new system that they're putting in. Gotcha. Gary, you got anything to add? You look like well, you wanted to, to jump in there. What would you add? Here's the salesman. The salesman's you know, coming out of Gary. You know, You're I'm always on. ready to go. Yeah, go. Um, that, that document, we, we added a step, which is the customer requirements document. The, the one that we ultimately get to is the functional spec, which is a very detailed technical document on how the resultant software will work. But the requirements, customer requirements document answers the question of what we will do. And so the real goal of that is simple. Make sure there's no misses, right? What are we doing? What are we not doing? What is the WMS's role in the whole thing, right? And, and what's the customer's role? For example, almost every one of our customers buys servers. Their IT group knows how to do it. They want to do it, fine. So we want to make sure up front, they know they're on the clock for that, we're not. And you, you find really quick, are there any disconnects in the room? Let's answer them now, not when we get to site. And then, like I said, that flows then and Austin will hand off to the software team after he's finished the requirements document or his team has. And then they start into the real technical pieces. And that's where you start to get, how are we going to make this all work? And, you know, I said it earlier, the devil's in the details, especially with exceptions. You know, you put in a receiving merge and sorter and an ASRS and some pull walls and a shipping sorter, and that's blocking and tackling for us. We can make all of that work, but this customer is expecting a certain level of flow and a certain rate through the building. How do we make sure those pieces are working together in order to one area is not over or underfeeding another and they're all working together. That's where the machine learning 
and the more advanced software algorithms help us tie those pieces together and achieve a, a continuous flow. You don't gridlock the system, you don't underfeed it. And that's where the that's where the real interesting part happens is understanding the mix of what's in this building and what needs to happen to, to achieve that result for the customer. Yeah, yeah and, and I also find that a big piece of the requirements gathering stage, you know, putting that customer requirements document together, Gary said, you know, it's what we're gonna do. I also like to capture during that phase, why are we doing that? Because making sure the software team understands why we're implementing a certain functionality um, helps them once they get to the real technical piece, make sure that they design it correctly and, and make sure that, you know, if something changes in the future, they're not stuck one way. It's, it's going to be easy and flexible to, to pivot to another direction, which I think everybody saw, you know, how important that was in the last few years with COVID everybody's business model changed and, you know, people had to shift how they're doing things in their distribution center to, to service, you know, direct consumer rather than replenishing stores. Yeah. I, I, I think you, I think you all nailed that. And I, you're saying all this. So if anybody's out there looking at like, what success look like when you're designing a software system? Um, in our opinion, you know, I, I've, I've got an opinion. I want to hear your all's in a minute, but there's certain documents that flow through and people call them different things, but at, at, there's really five to six, probably success points in a system from sale to you're implemented and working and you all, we've already named it. You've got the discovery, you call it the gathering, the data requirements out the upfront work. Um, we just choose to call it discovery. Um, the scope of work for you all is really the definition of how you put the requirements. And I, I think this is important because a lot of companies have different sides of their organization that are involved in the first half of the game. They've got solutions engineers. They've maybe got, the sales team, they maybe have procurement and accounting involved in the buying cycle of a project. It may be high level operations or executive management. And I think we all know from 15 and 30 and 25 years in the industry and working is those individuals don't always have the details that you talked and spoke to Gary. They don't have them to get them in. So the customer requirements document is more of a broad view. And it's kind of selfish. It's really putting a line in the sand and setting an expectation back to the customer. It says, here's what you told me you want. Here's agreement to telling me what you want. And it's not for contractual, like we're not doing a T's and C's legal document. It's really to set the expectation of here's what the people that are involved in this portion of the project are telling us that you want it and is in scope and is what we're ultimately going to price on and deliver on and put resources to. And then you sign a contract. And everybody gets all excited and the sales team goes out and they celebrate it, you know, have taco Tuesday and go celebrate. And there's a transition, uh, Austin, that you talked about. And this, this is it, to keep with the, the halftime is like, this is where the fumbles usually happen. So we try to minimize at Zion, the number of transition and handoff points. We also try to pull through and have, have someone that's the conduit from front to end for us. It's our engineer. Our engineers involved in once the the, the discovery is done and we've qualified an opportunity, we've got a mechanical engineer, application engineer, project engineer. We, we call them different things. Um, they stay involved with the project. Once we've got contract and we've agreed to a scope of work, they stay involved and hand off to our project manager to bring it to life at, at kind of the simplest form. A lot of times stuff is lost in that transition. And I talk a whole lot, but I'm going to get to a point here. So, 
you all have got a contract now. So we've had discovery. We got the customer requirements, whatever anybody calls that, but let's just call it a CRD document. I've got a contract. We, we won. So great. Awesome. Hopefully we get to down payment, but we got a contract that that portion's done. Now it's the functional specification. This is where it really gets the details to get it down to the keystroke level is what I've heard one software person call it. Gary's like, this is what the system actually has to be built for. You have to know that if I push the enter button or if I push control plus C, this is what it does. This is how you, you the functionality that you're ultimately going to code and deliver to. It's a little different in controls, but similar exercise. Here's the devices I've got. So let's call it, you get into the functionality, the functional specification document. You got a communication specification document, which is getting, I'd love to hear your opinion on this in a minute, the cybersecurity and how people want allow you into their system in their firewall, on-site premise, in the cloud, but you got communication specification. Then you've got the UAT testing and documents, you know, which is extremely important. You've got to do the right amount. When companies have a poor software experience, I would 80% of the time I could point back to they didn't capture the requirements right or they didn't test right. They didn't allow sufficient time to test. We spent too much time in the sales. We spent too much time in the halftime. We, we blew all our timeouts in the half, the first half. And, um, and then ultimately at the end, you've got, you go live and you've got on-site support and you're always going to have bugs that you work through, but you got discovery, you got customer requirements, you got functional specification, communication spec could be part of the functional spec, I guess, or you could call them two separate ones. Then you got UAT and you got testing and then now we're at go live. And, uh, and then your last one support, right? So in your all's point of view, now that I'm done rambling is what did I miss? Is, is that kind of the life cycle from a software design to execution of a WES system and control system? Yeah. Yeah. You captured it pretty well. Um, you know, that the comm spec development um, is, can be part of the funk spec or it can be separate, but it all happens around the same time. You know, once we've defined the requirements, then we start putting the technical pieces together and, um, we may do a technical design document where we lay out, you know, here's some, if we're developing custom screens or something like that, where we, we design those screens and figure out how they're going to work. Uh, but you pretty well captured the, the life cycle of the software side. How do you all minimize? So just if you were to talk success, right. And you all have had a lot of it, you've got to grow and your, your business continues to grow. Your customer base has continued to grow. Uh, you all have had a lot of success, which, you know, is, partially due and due to you all and your product and that what you do. Um, what would you all say? How do you all view the success through that? And you talked about the transition, Austin. So maybe talk about what do you all do different so that you don't drop and fumble that ball, that you don't lose that tribal knowledge from handing off to the team that's actually got to code it and bring it to life. And then the team ultimately it's in the field that's that's doing the work and supporting it. How do you all, how, what's, what's success look like for you all one? And then how do you all minimize those, those areas where you can maybe lose it? Sure. Yeah. I think the first thing to making sure that we minimize the, the fumbles on that handoff is one, getting the right people in the room for the upfront discussions. You mentioned, you know, there could be ops involved. There could be finance or project management procurement during the upfront phase. You want to make sure you've got representation from operations they're going to have to live with the system once it goes live. They're going to be operating it day to day. If you don't have buy-in from them, 
they're never going to take ownership of the system and, and it's never going to work the way you need it to. Um, so you got to make sure they're, they're represented. IT or, or IS has got to be in the room. Somebody from their uh, WMS or ERP side, whoever we're going to be interfacing to, we need to make sure that what we're designing is going to work for their system. And, you know, they're not going to have too much heavy lifting, making changes on their side to support what we're doing. Um, so, so making sure the right people are in the room is a big piece of it. And then making sure we get sign off from every, from all the stakeholders, you know, our partners need to sign off on it. The WMS group needs to sign off on it. Operations needs to sign off on it. And that way we make sure we've got alignment from the people that are going to be running the system day to day, supporting the system from a technical standpoint, um, implementing the MHE and, and running the overall project, which would be our partners, you guys, and then us doing the software and controls. Gotcha. So having the right people, I mean, just I'm, I'm taking notes here because I'm a note taking guy, and, but having the right people, setting the right expectations, um, gaining alignment. I think there's an art in doing that and doing it to where it's a good experience. Instead of telling you, you shall, it's more like, let's, let's do together. Let's make, make sense. But yeah. um, so that's success. Maybe, maybe the audience would like to know, like, what's red flags? Like when, when do your red flags go up when you know, I've been in this long enough. Like I can almost tell when I'm in a room with groups, I don't have the right people in the room. I don't have proper alignment. What's, what's some, maybe some red flags that you would advise and you, you try to talk to your customers and coach them through and guide intelligent change through what's, what's a couple of red flags that you all maybe see sometimes. Yeah. So, um, a lot of times during those requirements, defining, uh, process we get too many people in the room and we get hung up on on every little detail when during requirements you know um we need to be a little higher level yes we want to get all the details out but if you've got you know um, somebody from inventory control in the room and that's their sole focus and they, we spend too much time on that one area other areas get overlooked not picking on anybody from inventory control just using that as an example but um obviously you want you want representation from all the different groups, but you don't want to get too granular in that and have too many people in the room. You'll never make decisions. And, um, and then another thing is you have to make some decisions up front and stick with them. If you're constantly trying to, if we're chasing a moving target during implementation, it's never going to be successful. So even if you figure out sometimes that, Hey, we, we made a decision during the design process that may not be the best way to run the building. If you've already gone too far down the path to change, it's not going to help anybody to try and pivot in the middle of a project. It'd be better to come back and make that a, a, a change after we've gone live. Because like I said, if we're chasing a moving target during implementation, <clears throat> more things are going to get missed as we change on the fly. But these systems are, are, uh, one small change can touch a lot of different pieces of the system. And if you're making decisions on the fly during implementation, the design team may not be involved and you may not flush out all those details of, of what other impacts downstream or upstream are going to happen. Absolutely. So you, I, you could call that code freeze at some point you, you implement it's, we have a code freeze and we have to do that. We never, I, t I tell, I don't know that I'm ever a hundred percent done with the layout. When I go to contract signature, I'd never have a contract. Absolutely yeah. wouldn't. So sometimes that gaps 20%. We don't like those, but 
we do them right to the speed of business. And sometimes that gaps at, at minimum five to 10% and you got to finalize. And I've always, I try to describe it to people. It's similar. In, it's probably more relevant in software because you're, you'll never, you never stop. That's the whole point of the functional requirements document. Here's what you said you wanted. Here's what I'm going to go to deliver. It's not like you've got it on a shelf. Well, let me go get product A. Well, no, that didn't work. Product B, you've got to, there's humans coding this and it has a cascade effect throughout the system that you're designing that you can't always see. And so you have to lock in the code, but it's easy to design a house. It's easy to say, I want a three bedroom house. It's easy to say, I want two bathrooms in that house. It's easy to say, I want a, a shower tub combo in the house and a, you know, two sinks in every bathroom. But the difference is somebody before they build it and install it, which is where we get to, somebody's got to say this sink goes exactly right here. And this tub shower combo goes exactly right here. And, you know, I want this faucet in this tub and I want this tile in this tub. And so the devil's in the details, as Gary said. And in the first half, it's you can get to that really high level. But at some point, we have to implement a design freeze. And then I, I heard 100 percent what you said. There's a lot of people who have opinions. And if you get the too many opinions, you never get to the ability where you can say, okay, we've got to stop. We got to put a, a demarcation. Is that right? We got to put a line in the sand. We got to say, here's here's the point. One of the things I think we both do well as partners is with confidence have those conversations with customers and explain to them, not from a perspective of you shall do it again. It's more of if you want a good experience, here's best best practice. Here's use our experience, use our expertise. We can always come back and upgrade. We can do, but you won't ever, you won't have as much success if you don't do the, the, the steps that get you to the end of the project that gets you implemented. You can always come back and add the projects are always open and living, but two good, two really good points, Austin. I think code freeze, too many people, too many opinions, too many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah. And uh, it leads to, to project, craziness and we get that sometimes so how we typically work for some of the audience that may not know is um i don't think there's a lot of ego in the fact that usually we are prime in a relationship on a contract um, meaning you all work with us as a subcontracted company to work and deliver uh, zion at has we don't have our own software we've re, we've decided as a strategy that we want to be software agnostic as well um so we go out and find partners and you all being our strategic partner of uh, going out and finding a partner that can deliver this for us. And so we'll get on the job site and there's operators that are now involved and there's other people and you all, you've probably never had this happen, but you get out on a job site and you're going live, you're in testing and commissioning. You got somebody from the customer that wants a change and they ask for a change. And so our project <clears throat> managers are there. Matthew's project managers are there. And when projects kind of get, a little out of bounds or a little sideways is when there's not good, clear communication and you don't get everybody in the room and there's not managed change. And, uh, you, the change management of it doesn't, doesn't take, take place well. And so we've had that sometimes, but I think we do a really good job of making sure we're always aligned. Um, we, we act as partners. We walk in the room together. We leave the room together. Uh, we've got each other's back. We we have a similar mind, like Gary, you said, at the beginning of do the right thing for the customer. That's ultimately what we're going to do. Um, are we rigid around functional specifications? I mean, we have to be to a point, but we're not so rigid that we can't call audibles. Um, but we'll always call an audible with with the 
intention in mind of doing the right thing. We won't let a customer make a bad decision. We won't let a customer make the project unsuccessful, but we're super flexible in terms of, yeah, we, we all, I, I, I know you told us you wanted it this way, but it probably makes sense. Now we're out testing it. You're going to be more successful and it's minimal risk. Let's make this change. Or that's a major change. We can't make that change right now. You won't be able to go live and, uh, and work them through that change management. So I think we do change management really well. Uh, maybe another red flag is schedule. I see it a lot. And maybe Gary, you got an opinion is people underestimate the time for whatever reason, or they don't allow enough time on the back end. I was always the delivery guy. So I'm a little sensitive and biased to it. I always am in the second half and the first half team comes off and everything's great. And then in the second half, now I'm, I'm down four four goes and I've got to make it up or I walk in, you know, with less time and I need I need 14 weeks and I've got 12 and those two weeks are critical testing. But testing or lack of schedule to me is a red flag when you've got a customer that's we've got to hit this date and we don't have enough time. So how do you educate? Would you agree with that, Gary? How do you educate a customer through that? And is it a red flag or am I just delivery biased? No, it, it absolutely is. They're, they're, with a lot of our customers, they think the schedule's our problem. They're going to take as long as they want to define it, you know, and it's it's incumbent on us to talk to the customer and say, you know, we need to keep this moving. But right. one of the, I'm going to tie your last two questions together, the one Austin answered plus this. A lot of customers haven't thought through what they really want at an organizational level, right? As you said, we're in there with the executive team or the, the purchasing team, and we agree on a scope based on their budget and based on their schedule needs, right? And we've got it locked down. A lot of, too often, way too often, we get in the meeting after that to do the CRD and the FTD spec. And there's all kinds of things coming out of the woodwork because they put 15 people in the room. Each one of those has an agenda. And it's like, wait a minute, this is way beyond what we actually scoped while we were selling this thing, right? And sure, there's a budget. There's a budget piece to it, but to your point, there's a big schedule impact. If you want us to do a lot more work, we're happy doing it. But you guys need to get together as as a customer, right? The customer needs to IT, engineering, ops, and agree on what they really need. And so we get in the meeting, and that's the first time it's coming out. And usually Austin will ask a question, and two hours later, they're still arguing amongst themselves on how they want to do it. And so that carries through the project, right? which becomes your big schedule issue. Yes. And okay, fine. We can, you know, we can keep writing a, a little more custom code and there's things we can do, but that's going to squeeze your testing. And to your point, you want to fail on a go line, don't do enough testing, right? Yeah. It, it takes more testing than people appreciate a lot of times. Absolutely. And I, think, uh, I think a lot of that ties back to what we talked about at the beginning, the relationship and the trust, you know, our customers have to be able to trust us when we're giving them recommendations. You know, a change that's late in the project may not be a good idea. You know, if we're tell if we're advising them on that, they have to trust us and you know accept that. Same thing when we're talking schedule. If we're we're telling them, you know, this schedule duration is you're not going to get enough testing. If there's a bunch of risk, you getting it in in the timeline. They have to be able to trust that we know what we're talking about and and you know take that advice from us. So we have to build that trust in that relationship in the beginning. So, so during implementation, they, they have, there is that, you know, level of trust between us. At, at, you know, Austin, Gary, those are both really great points. And I think when you've got a customer that won't listen, that could be another red flag. And um, if they're not listening, uh, 
and I've I've gone so far. Of course, of course, you all you all know me. Anybody that's worked with me knows me pretty pretty well. That you know, I I don't mince words. Usually, I'm pretty transparent. I've always got the best interest of you and the customer. I'm I, I don't I'm not really a salesman. Um, I'm not. But if if we give you advice and counsel and you don't listen to it, I mean, I've I've told customers before, this isn't going to be successful. You can listen to me or it's not going to be successful. And I think that's all about managing those expectations. And that's tough. It's, it, it's tough to do that without losing the relationship in that way of telling someone, I've got your best interest in mind. Please listen to me. You hired us to be experts. You hired us because this is what we do every day. And the customers that listen to that, listen and embrace, they have a really great experience. And the others, we still help them. We still get through it. We still work through it. But you know, it's a little, it's a little harder road to get down. Well, I think we've beat this up. I brought up software. I think we've talked about it. So we've talked about there is a process to software. Um, a lot of people, it's you can demystify it. I mean, there's there's keys to success. It falls inside the Zion project lifecycle. We designed it that way because we've done 200 plus projects that involve software, and you all have been there and delivered 200 plus projects that involve this software. And so the recipe for success can be put on a piece of paper. It still takes the people to bring it to life. Um, Austin, you called out, did a great job of what success looks like. Get your right people in the room, get proper agreement and alignment. Um, You could take your red flags and flip them around and say, make sure you have adequate time for testing and schedule and that you do it. Make sure you get a point where you say, we're going to lock down code freeze. We have a code freeze. We've got to move forward or else we'll never, we'll always be chasing a target that doesn't stop. So have a code freeze date. And then um, ultimately you've got to have trust. You, you're, when you go out and get someone to do a service for you, you've got to trust that you found the right partner and have the right partner. And I don't think either one of us, another thing that I'd add to this, so th- those are keys to success, is we never take it for granted, whether it's we've done multiple projects for a customer or it's a brand new customer. I think one of the things that's made this partnership successful is we all care about the end. We all care about the final experience and that it works. And ultimately we take it very serious that your operation, this is your livelihood. This might be your career. This might be your business. There's multiple families affected by this. There's jobs, there's consumers. Um, there's sometimes in healthcare, there's patients that might be on a bed that's relying on us to get it right. And we take that serious, whether we're moving a, you know, a wax candle or whether we're moving a, a, a some medical device that's, that's an ailing person or a, a, a person in a hospital needs for, for their life or for a surgery or whatever you always we always take it, take it serious that we deliver the product and we, we do it in a professional way. And most of the time people enjoy working with us. You all have had, you, you all maybe say how many how many customers just kind of general directional and I'm assuming you don't have a lot of one and done customers you've probably got some long standing relationships um, of customers you all have worked with yeah there's there's some small ones that put in one DC and they're just not a big enough retailer but the larger ones we work with yeah there's ten they tend to be repeat business and kind of where, where you're talking sometimes the whole project goes very well because we we do a great job together right other times it's contentious but by the time we're done we almost always have a great relationship with that customer. Yeah. I think it's you know, going to work. There's an know. aftermarket piece to this too, right? Yeah. Not only support. do I need the software to work, but I need to make sure I can get the support. That's Very right. Very important to customers nowadays. That's right. 
Absolutely. And you all have got a fabulous, you got 24-7 support, got a big support team. You're always willing. You got to mobilize. Um, I think one of the things about you all is we put in a contract what it takes to bring a, cust- a customer to life, a project to life, but ultimately like us, and this is faith and trust. Chuck Frank says this all the time. It's some, at the end of the day, as a human, you have to have faith, trust, and faith. You got to, ultimately, it's just humans working with humans. You got to have trust and faith. And we, you got to put stuff in a contract because you got to have bounds and expectations. But if it takes eight weeks to bring a project to life and we had four weeks of support, we're there. Now we'll, we'll talk about what that means compensation wise and different things, but we don't leave a job. You all have never left a job. We make sure it's right. Doesn't mean it's right. The only thing I promise a customer, I don't know about you all. This is a salesman and me, which is not good. The only thing I promise a customer is there will be challenges. And as part of those challenges, part of the, the second half of the promise is we'll be there. We'll meet you in the middle. I have an expectation you meet me in the middle. It's not you work for me, you shall do, you will do this. We don't work great in those cultures and those relationships, but there will be problems, some big, some small. You you work your hardest to mitigate them, but we'll always be there to meet you in the middle to address those challenges, and, and ultimately that's what you say at the beginning, Gary and Austin, do the right thing for the customer. So I think if you do that, <laughs> It's like a lot of things. Some companies focus on profit. We don't. We focus on good people. We focus on having good partners. We think if we do those things, we'll end up with good customers, and then the profit and everything will take care of itself. I think it's the same way in the services we provide. There is a recipe for success, but ultimately, if you stay focused on the experience and guiding the right intelligent change and doing the right thing for the customer, you're going to have happy customers. All right. I talk way too much. So we're at an hour. I told you all this would be easy. Look, Austin, you're through your very first one and it's been painless. Yeah, it's been great. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to ask you all a couple questions in a minute. We'll wrap this up. But before we do that, do you all, this is kind of plug and play moment. Do you all have anything? Do you got any exciting updates, strategy? I know you've rolled out a new product recently. Do you got, you got anything you want to, a little marketing moment? Gary said he was in marketing, Austin. So maybe you can take it. Bar. marketing moment for for matthew's automation anything on the horizon anything you want your your customers or to know about i'm not prepared for that but um you know you hit on electric, a couple things. that's the electrical engineer gary coming out but i say i'm not prepared i'm always ready i know you're ready. um <laughs> but we have a you know as you mentioned we have a great team and you know the success we've had as a business bringing the brands together and servicing customers is really due to the team Austin and I get to sit in front of customers and promise a lot of things, but um, having a great team behind you that comes through every time makes this a lot easier. That's for sure. But um, we're continuously developing and evolving. You know, machine learning is something you talk about AI um, that we're building into the product, <clears throat> newer technologies, staying ahead of the game. Sorry, I'm losing my voice here. It's all good. Yep. But anyway, we're going to continue to evolve and improve. Um, we've got a lot of long-term customers who are really excited about some of the things we're doing and, and, and as are we, as we roll those out to those customers. Awesome. Are you all looking at AI? I know we talked, I, I could spend 10 minutes and tell you some really neat, I'll share a presentation that we got from Mahita convention with you all, but there's some, are you all looking at AI? Is it still too early? I hear you say machine learning a couple of times. AI is a broad term. If you talk to a lot of the experts, there's not a lot of AI in the world. In the last 50 years, it hasn't really evolved a lot. However, machine learning is a subset of AI, and that's really 
in, in material handling, that's what's happening. You gather a lot more data and now you can make better decisions on anticipating, you know, you're anticipating the future case in the, in the warehouse. If I release these now, what's going to happen? And right. you're pulling from that data of forecasting based on what I've seen in the past, not just doing the math and saying, I need to release now. You're saying, all right, let me forecast what's going to be happening and plan ahead. And that's something we're working on very hard because the term I always use is balance and flow, right? You don't want to gridlock your system. You don't want to run out of product on your system. Both of those are bad conditions. So our job is to make sure we flow everything through the building at the maximum rate and create balance throughout all the areas of the warehouse. And so that's where we're applying machine learning to make more intelligent and more informed decisions based on that history that we're gathering. Gotcha. Awesome. So Jacob, one of the things that I did poorly at the beginning is just really explain what Matthews does. They've got a, a product offering a warehouse execution system, one of the best in the business with it, um, primarily North America, but you all have done work overseas internationally as well. And they just, you all are based, your all's headquarters is in Cincinnati, um, right, right. Northern Cincinnati. Uh, but you, I'm sure you got people all over the country and then lightning picks where Gary up in, is it Milwaukee or is They're it in Milwaukee? Yeah. Milwaukee. Okay. And, uh, but world-class warehouse execution system. Um, the product, are you all calling it Nexus now? Is that the product, what you're calling it? Yes. Okay. Which is really the combination of Pyramid and the Compass Legacy brands. And you all have updated, refreshed that in the last, you know, 12 to 18 months, um, rolling it out as Nexus, which is really cool. So go on their website, check it out. You also provide, like you said earlier, Lightning Pick, um, which is put to light, pick to light products, um, can do a lot more than that. So check out Lightning Pick for sure. And then just, you know, controls. I think everybody takes controls for granted. And uh, me, new to the industry, I learned pretty quick that not all control houses are the are equal. And um, especially once you get into high-speed sortation, especially once you get into more complicated systems. So um, glad to have you. But, Jacob, where I was going with that is let's make sure we call that out in the in the show notes that we, <laughs> we, we say what Matthews Automation really does. And long-term partner, strategic partner, Glad to have you. Um, I'm going to ask you a couple outgoing questions just to see if you all you all want. I know Austin's got to go in a couple minutes, but um, any final thoughts before I ask you the questions and close everything out? No, I think we've covered covered everything we wanted to talk about. Yeah, yeah. thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, yeah, y'all have done great. I, I've, it, it's amazing to me how an hour and a half or hour and five minutes just blows by and you're just having a conversation. So I don't know if anybody watches this, but if they do, they've got an hour, seven minutes worth of content to watch now. Well, I'm just kidding. We've got several, We're, our, the show's growing. We've got uh, several, we, we've grown consistently show to show. So, and it's because of people like you all that come on and they just want to hear what we do. They just want to hear how we do things. Uh, so, all right, the questions, I don't, I don't care which one, but uh, some of these Jacob picked these out. So I'll blame him if they're, if they're great questions or give him the credit for it or if they're not. But the first one is, um, Austin, I'll just start with you. In the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? Sure. So, you know, I, we talked a little at the beginning. I've got uh, twin boys that will be four here in July. So the last five years of my life have pretty much been consumed by them. Um, but I think the biggest thing that's uh, come out of that is um, – 
more routine in my daily life, a consistent bedtime, consistent wake up time, um, you know, more structure. I think, I think the routine that's come out of that and, uh, you know, that's, that's helped me be able to, uh, be a little more organized and, and, uh, more structured in how I approach my day. Have some sanity is what you're saying. You've got more sanity as a dad of young children. I've got four young children, so my house is chaos. We try to go to bed about eight. I don't know if you try and then you've got kind of a, all right, this is second warning. And (laughs) yep. Yep. Deal with all that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun though. It's good being a dad. I I really enjoy being a dad. I'm sure you do too. I'm sure you're a great dad. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. That's awesome. Much like uh, my job, there, there's a lot of challenges that you got to work through, but at the end of the day, you love it. Yeah. I call it a season of life. It's a good season of life. It's busy. It's super busy. I got four under 12, and it's we got something all the time, and my kids act like me and are about half crazy, and just it's, but it's a good season of life. So good yeah. for you. Let me know how the habits work out. If you find one that really works and pass it down, I've still got a three year old that just thinks she runs the house and, she probably does. <laughs> she, she, she does. She does. So, um, Gary, we can do that one for you, or we can do the second one is, are there any quotes um, you think of often or live your life by? So you can talk about a habit that, you know, in the last five years, it's really changed something that would help other humans, help other people, or is there some quote you live by? Um, I'll, I'll give you the quote. My, my mom used to always say, the Lord helps those who help themselves, right? That's not meant to be an overtly religious statement. What it's about is if you've got a problem, you can sit there and wait for someone else to solve it or do something about it yourself, right? Go ask for help, go try something, you know? And that's something I try to teach all our people is, you know, we touch the customer all through our organization. Our, our It's great when I get on a site and, the, and one of our customers says, you know, I talked to Adam last night at 4 a.m. He did a great job. I'm so happy that they know Adam and had a great experience and know him by name, right? But all of our people are in a sales role for that reason. So they touch the customer. So we try to get them to be more proactive, right? Always, as we said, do the right thing for the customer. So, you know, if you've got a problem, start working on it and you'll be amazed how many people are willing to pitch in and help you with it. That's right. Don't look at it as a problem. Look at it as an opportunity and how you work yourself out of it. I really like that. So, well, guys, we're at, we're at an hour and 10 minutes. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you. Um, awesome. Always enjoy talking with you all, learning more about software and what success looks like. Hope everybody got some tips out of this. We, we tried to give you as like, here's, you can cheat. Here's the basic steps that you need to have a successful software project. Here's some red flags and successful items that you can look at that that'll ensure success. And the only final step is just give Zion and Matthew's automation a call and then you'll have a successful project. So we really appreciate you. Hope you all have a great weekend and uh, thanks guys. Y'all did great. Thank you.